Welcome to iPodcast Magic Missile, where we play games and talk geek. Broadcasting every week from the New River Valley in the beautiful mountains of Southwest Virginia, we bring you audio from some of the most exciting games, new and old. No actual wizard spells here, just actual play from great games. This is iPodcast Magic Missile. I aimed for this to be a two-disc campaign. The final boss was going to be Tier Costa. The players were like, no, we could go for another semester. I went, really? All right, I got to put together Disc 3, and that was the transition. Disc 2 ended with all of the players waking up in Phobos with Nelthar Zarel's, like, spirit sitting there and going, we need to get you back. Mm-hmm. Things got bad. All of the players except Arnold. Yeah, we... We talked about it over the summer, because that was the summer I spent there. Right. And I'm like, hey, I guess Arnold actually got a soul, because that's kind of weird. Blake was like, nah. How about instead we just knock him to one? And Arnold shattered into his constituent parts, because he can just do that. And faked being at zero with a bluff check no one could solve. <laughs> and proceeded to fake being at so, so the story that ended up getting retconned in during that break period was that they took our corpses, because at that point there had been kind of like a public relations campaign thing going. They The players weren't great at public relations. The bad guys Jack were. Corso was. Yeah. So it was actually a thing where we were relatively fit. Fa- Us and the bad guys were both famous, and they were the good guys as far as the populace was concerned, and we were the villains. So they took all of our corpses and put them on pikes outside of, like, this castle in a, in a major metropolitan area. Preserved, of course. Right, so that they, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't decompose down, because uh, everyone needed to be able to recognize who those jackasses were, right? Just bodies impaled on stakes. So the guards of the castle are, like, walking by one day, weeks after the event, and look up, and the suit of armor guy is gone. <laughs> and like, frick. So the players fought their way out of Phobos for a session with temporary liquid metal bodies. Yeah, Arnold brought the liquid metal bodies in for them to, like, put their souls in. So the idea was that off-camera, Arnold had snuck down to the bottom, and he was like, yeah, I snuck down here, but I can't sneak out, so we're going to have to fight our way out. That was a fun way to start Disc 3. They got their bodies. Then, for Section 22, my notes are question mark. Because I planned on having on sending the parties to a place where elves and orcs were fighting to determine which side to join, fight the other side, or try and get them both together to rebuild some of their lost credibility. The players looked at it, said, hmm, and did something else, for which I have no notes. I don't know what happened. But I do know we filled Lara's empty spot. A new fellow joined, I think, the store around the time. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to be in the campaign. He watched. He had spectated some sessions yep. of it. Is this F? His name was F. <laughs> and he played a mirror man named Valitude. Because the Big Lebowski is the greatest. Nera is, uh, if you want to look it up. That one is Fiendfolio, right? Yep. Not, not Monster Manual 2. Yep. So he was a mirror man sorcerer. He had reflective spell resistance because effing mirror. And, you know, it filled the range DPS, the range magical DPS hole. He was a trip. He was certainly frequently tripping. We, uh, this, we played at a game store. Game stores play games. One of them is Magic the Gathering. And around that time, there was a Magic the Gathering set, Time Spiral? Yep, Time Spiral. It was about time. And also, uh, 
things Time's slowly travel. getting smaller. So they sent the store a clock that was counterclockwise. We hung it over the door so that it turned in unison with the clock at the back of the store. They mirrored each other. <laughs> I really love clocks, by the way. Like, I'm always going on about having my atomic clocks be accurate to the second, etc., etc. The first time this guy saw that clock, it was about five weeks after it had gone up. And he, like, was walking through the store toward the back where we played. Everyone else was there. We saw him come in. He saw the clock and slowed to look at it. Just stared at it for a bit. Then turned to face it, crossed his arms, and tilted his head. And I, we were done. <laughs> it took him a while to figure that clock out. Just, it's like, there's something wrong here. I'm not sure what. It was That was the best thing that guy did. Yeah. There were a bunch of great stories <coughs> here. Uh, this is when you attacked that poor Marilith. <laughs> In which Arnold <laughs> frightens a poor woman. Oh, right. This is when we can talk about sinking to the bottom of bodies of uh, large bodies of liquid. Arnold's made of metal. Metal don't float too good. Yeah, he's, I don't fact, care what submarines have told you. He's not just made of metal. He's made of gold. So he is super freaking heavy. Arnold weighed 900 pounds. <laughs> It's a mage. Hmm. <laughs> That's how work, right? So, earlier, you know, when we were talking about the portal room in Malfurious's castle, we had NPCs waiting for us. We were rescuing them from the abyss. It was a village of people with Constitution 2. I think they lived in houses made of the bones of their relatives who had died earlier. It was, um, it was pretty rough. They were incredibly... What's... Hapless? No. Pathetic? Well, yes, but when you're sycophantic. I guess sycophantic. Yeah, that, that's the word. Um, on a tiny desert island in the middle of an ocean of blood, because it was the abyss, there was an ocean of blood layer. Because why not? We entered the ocean of blood layer via a portal that dropped us out of thin air and fell into the ocean. So well, sw- everybody else fell onto the ocean. Yeah. And they were like, oh crap, let's swim for the nearest you know landmass we can see. Arnold was like, uh-oh, the surface is opaque. I don't know how I figured out which way to go. I think I just went, I think I just went uphill. Mm-hmm. That, was, that, that, was, that was the trick. So I was like, well, I'm at the bottom of a very thick liquid. I'll just, walk, up, I'll just walk uphill. So they're on the island trying to negotiate with the natives to convince them to tear down their tiny village of bone huts so that they can be rebuilt into a boat so that the party can sail to where they're trying to go. They're like, hey, whole village of people, families, children, the elderly, uproot your lives entirely. Destroy everything you own for our fleeting needs. By the way, at this point, the party had a PR problem. Arnold comes walking out of the ocean of blood, filled to the brim with blood, so it's like squirting out my ears and my <laughs> eye sockets and whatever, so I just like walk out of there like blood draining all out of me, like, hey guys, what I miss? They agreed. <laughs> <laughs> and they proceeded to follow us around until, I, I guess we led them out of the abyss. Sure. Yeah. Or, the, sec- they- the second time everybody got dropped into an ocean, it went much better for everyone. Uh, I think that we were flying to an island on, a, on an airship, I want to say we were airborne. Okay. Because someone fell. Someone else fell off the boat. And it was like, oh crap. Oh, it was Strongtor. Right. Because strong though he was, he he was, no, half man, half refrigerator. He could not <laughs> float indefinitely. 
and it was the middle of the freaking ocean. So when he fell off the boat, I was like, oh shit. So I grabbed a rope, jumped off the boat, did the like, you know, skydiving fall as fast as you can thing, fell to Skrunk Door, handed him the rope, which he took, and then I waved goodbye. <laughs> I was like, woo, kerplunk. Arnold ended up at an underwater castle, which is coincidentally where the party was going anyway. Yeah, they were flying to an island nearby so they could get, like, the water breathing and, and mm-hmm. you know, pressure suit, magic pressure resistant suits and stuff like that. And then, you know, wander down across the ocean surface, or across the ocean floor. But I got there early. So... What, were we trying to be, like, a shoe salesman? Yeah. I knocked on the door. That was a joke. So I knocked on the door... And some kind of aquatic demon butler opens the door and is like, yes. I remember you doing the MES thing. And was like, I'm here to see the lady of the house about this artifact that we're trying to retrieve. I came up with some brilliant lie about how, you know, it was a thing that she wanted us to take off of her hands. And he was like, whom shall I say is calling? I was like, it really doesn't matter. Just introduce me as cordially as possible. And he turns around and goes, Madam, a Miss Corgilius Possible is here to see you. Because I think at the time you were a woman. Right. He was always a woman. I'm the DM. That don't work. <laughs> and thus, thus... He wasn't always alive. Thus I got the name of my novel. The Impossibly Cordial Adventures of Corgilius Possible. I think he's going for a very specific market. Google <laughs> on this podcast and the board. Anyway... I guess punsters. And at some point, we ended up chasing this Merolith around the castle based on an, imiti- an intimidate check. I did not go in without the party, though. I waited for them. Blake had learned three-fourths of his lesson. It turns out that lesson is fleeting, as in a campaign we'll talk about later, I would make a very similar mistake. But no one died that time. Well, no one that had a player behind them. Yeah, the party slowly split up the uh, all of Tyrkos' friends and started working their way through them. Uh, they found the portalator because he found them and tried to attack them with a mecha. Because mechas are awesome, shut up. Uh, that was when you got that bazooka. Yeah, that we were on the island of mage, of like mage artisans. And they had like, it was like firework cannon. Yeah, you ran into a room and said, do you guys have a bazooka? And they said yes. And you went, bull! I retract my question. <laughs> That was, we were. I, I want to say it was the same island that we had. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Uh, you went to Nail's villa, where he was a lich beguiler. Right. Just surrounded by attractive humanoid monster women, all of whom fought the party while Nail fled. Did we catch him? No. He actually Skrunktor got changed into stone by Medusa, and Nail healed him. Just said, "Look, what do you guys want?" Just leave me alone. That was when you guys got on those riding turtles. Um, riding turtles are good. So then, at some point, we decided we'd had enough of Patrick. Tell this story. Erf. Sorry. It's fine. He's like a listen anyway. The... Yeah, it wasn't just me who didn't like F. It was, uh, everyone in the campaign. In the store. Okay, I can't speak for the rest of the store, but Blake can, because he's our duly elected representative. Uh, so, eventually the party, ah, they were going to Tyrkosa's home, and it was guarded by, I want to say it was called a Death Shrieker, or something. It was an undead that yelled a lot, but not a Banshee. It did, like, sonic damage instead of just killed you. And the party all kind of looked at each other for a second, as they realized, wait a minute, 
This is a monster that does Supernatural-style sound damage. The guy we don't like is made of glass. He's weak to Sonic sound. damage, specifically. And he has reflective spell resistance that this ignores. So they all just kind of looked around, and we all quietly, or all the players quietly agreed, let's not bring our A game. Let's not use our consumables. Let's save our dailies for later. Let's see how this fight pans out. And I decided, you know what? That, um, that guy made of mirrors is doing the most damage to me. Regardless of other tactical options, I would rather focus fire. And I will damage him and only him until there is no more him. At one point, the healer made a concession because she's good. And she said, I'll heal you. Just please spend a standard action doing nothing. Lower your spell resistance so I know I don't waste the spell and accidentally cure me. And he said I'd rather do damage. And that was the last time she asked. Yep. Then he died. Finally did enough damage to kill him. He was pretty tough. And once he died, he said, all right, guys, thanks, great campaign, and left the store. And never came back. He didn't seem bitter. No, this was... We was just finished. The writing was on the wall about a session before that, when uh, I said, everybody, make a Knowledge Arcana check. And F uh, rolled a die. And he said, I got a 20. Um, How did you get that number? Well, I rolled a 12, and I added an 8. Where did you get that 8 from? Because I can't help but notice that you have no character sheet this week. <laughs> I just figure it's around there. That was his answer. And it was an answer. He was an easygoing guy. In the same way that, uh, what, what is your favorite type of potato? And you say a Buick. That is an answer. <laughs> he was, so we had a hole to fill. And along came Sean. <coughs> we liked Sean when we had the benefit of Sean. We no longer have the benefit of Sean. I'm, I guess he died. Um, Sean... He uh, wanted to join the campaign, but he didn't have a character prepared. So we just flipped through the book, and we found a monster of around the level of the party and handed it to him. Said, you'll play this tenth character for a week. And the Death Slot was there, because it was core, it was in the Monster Manual 1, it was a book no one was using, we could hand it to him, it all fit on one page, it, was, it had neat stuff, it was great. So Death Slot joined the party for one week as the players were exploring a city of Earth Elementals. This is a different Death Slot. Correct, this exactly. is not the portal later. And he had teleport at will, which was really neat. A dimension door. Dimension door at will. Yep. But he liked to say BAMF when he used it. Of course, because that's what you do when you have the ability to teleport at will, even over small distances. So. It's more effective over small distances because they can see you disappearing than reappearing. Should I tell the story with the swearing? I like the swearing. I think we're, it's funny. We're not, not a clean podcast. Yeah, you're Please a swear. Like okay. season six of Community. Anyway. So we're going to this village, this underground village where one of the items is held. It's the shield, in fact. Uh, yes. Uh, and it's a village of earth elementals. Like, earth elementals live here and, and engage in commerce. Um, they cast magic here. They're earth elemental sorcerers. They only cast acid. We did a lot of research before we went there. A lot of research for our party. We, we've, in, in a, in they a, know the name of the village. In a fit of being prepared for once, uh, determined that it was... Earth Elementals didn't have a lot of patience for fleshy creatures or surface dwellers in general. The one thing they, they would tolerate was a dwarf, but only in small doses. So we were like, huh, well, I can certainly become a dwarf. And our death slot could also trans like change self at will and become a dwarf. Or at least change self enough times that he could become yeah. a dwarf. Um, the rest of the party was like, just, just hang out here... 
At the top of this mine shaft. Right. So in the Earth Elemental Village, but not near the artifact. Yeah. Because the artifact was sacred to the Earth Elementals. They really didn't want us to... I don't think we they knew we were going to take it either. You didn't want to take it. You wanted to make sure it was safe. You didn't expect to be able to take it. If you could, great. But if not, at least he's not getting in. Show us your security measures. Yeah. Like in every caper movie. We want to make sure that uh, that the bad guy can't get his hands on this thing. And we managed to convince them. So they let us into this inner sanctum and we went in. And, 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 and like the elemental wouldn't even come in the room with the shield with us. I can't remember why, but it was like... I think only the elite guards did. Like one or two scary, scary guys. Right. Because whatever for whatever reason, I decided that I, that we could pry it up. Though he's the one that pried it up. Yeah, that's... It was like mounted on the ground. Yeah, um, so they got it up. We we, were roll, we had to roll, like, strength checks or, or whatever for a while. I, I feel like it was a somewhat arduous process. We were, like, trying to come up with some, you know, we're like, oh, we need a thing for leverage, etc., etc. Finally got the thing, I'm like, alright, finally, we've got the shield. And that is when I said, no, 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 Sean has the shield. And I just looked at Sean slowly. It, it's a, wouldn't it be crazy... If the party had some sort of mole, the kind of character who had joined recently and couldn't be trusted, the kind of character who could grab an artifact, and the kind of character who had Dimension Door at will. Sean yells, BAMF! (laughs) (laughs) He was not primed for this. Sean didn't know he was a traitor until he was told he was a traitor. I decided it when they were looking for leverage. (laughs) So as soon as he yells, BAMF, I'm like, FUCK SHIT! Fuck and shit in that order. Damn! <laughs> and he bolted. Yeah, the elemental guards are like, "What's going on?" As I'm like, "Nimble right speed." I ran across the entire village at 150 miles an hour. Just ran straight up the fucking wall on the opposite side of the cave, which was just not as fast as 800 foot teleport every round. Yeah, he was... had to go around walls. Yeah. So I ran, the party was like, what's going on? I was like, the guy stole a thing! And they just ran up the shaft. They were like, we're not going to get up that shaft very fast. I was running through the woods, like, hoping to randomly come upon him. Like, maybe he thought he was safe, and I could, you know. But so he stopped and erected a neon castle. <laughs> Didn't work out for us. So I got the shield. <laughs> but shortly after that, Sean joined for Reels with the Reels characters with a Z. A Catman. A Sky Captain. Yeah, this, he wanted to be a Catboy Air Pirate Sorcerer. Like, alright, we have a Kobold Werepanther raised by Goliaths. Whatever. Uh, it took us forever to figure out his name. His build was not hard. He wanted to be a cat. He wanted to be a sorcerer. He wanted to fly a boat. Fine. Uh, but his, I remember we were looking through books, trying to find NPC names to give him a feel for D&D-esque names. We ended up being complete divine. I said, hey, here's a pious Templar named Templeton. He said, that's a terrible name. Why don't I just call my guy Shippy? Like, done. (laughs) (laughs) But we ended up cracking open the Draconomicon and saying, we're going to... You know what? You're the kind of character who would name himself. So we're going to find the Draconic for Pretentious Master of the Skies. And we're going to name you that. And I think the best we could do was Pretty Air King. But it was all right. What was... Do we remember what his actual name was? His first name was Thray. And I think Th- he... Thray. Yeah. Uh, Zatrix or something like that. 
Yeah. And so I, Vatrix Thray or something. I know he shouted Vutha Vivix a lot, but that might have been draconic for, like, Black Power or something. I don't know. <laughs> it was something subversive. This character was... He took... He took my... He snatched the pebble from my hand of goofiest member of the party. Instantly. With very little uh, difficulty. He had two key pieces of equipment. One is a belt of inebriation. It has 64 pouches like the Batman utility belt, but each is filled with a different kind of alcohol. And the other was boots of perching, where whenever he posed like Captain Morgan, he gained a plus one to diplomacy, or all charisma checks. Yeah. So he would say, I'm entirely trustworthy. Do you believe me? No. Perch. How about now? Um, <laughs> he had a tendency when flying the boat... To, By the way, he owned an airship. Yeah, he owned an airship. That was why we, we needed him, because we needed to be able to travel like over distances without having to interact with the people that lived on those distances, because they all hated us. Uh, he would stand there with his hands on the wheel, you know, like, gli- ca- casually guiding his ship through the skies, and then suddenly shout, Man overboard! And then just, oh no, ba- abandon ship. He would shout, abandon ship! And leap from the boat! Activate his flight at will! <laughs> Cruise, it might have just been a spell. Cruise around under the side, under the keel, reappear back over the other side of the boat, land back at the wheel, and resume flying. As though nothing had <laughs> happened. Six times an hour. I think it was just training the party not to react when he said abandon ship. Like, nay, we'll die with this ship. Good. Wait, were you serious? <laughs> said junk, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, why wouldn't he have a dwarven accent? Have we missed anything else funny before we get to the end? I have, oh, I have no notes for Tony Furious, but I do have the notes for when you guys fought Bootylicious and Sligan the Unfortunate after he changed into a cyborg. Oh, yeah, that, you know, that story is worth telling. This was, Blake has come up to me and said, your early campaigns had something that I feel your later campaigns lacked. And I think it's body count, but I think Blake thinks it's references. In this one, he fought Donkey Kong. And, uh... For this particular example, Bootylicious and Sligan the Unfortunate were camped out in Figaro Castle from Final Fantasy VI, a burrowing castle. The party parked their airship over it, slid down on, like, rope ladders, and invaded the castle from the roof to get to, at that point, the last two members of Sligan's, uh, of Tyrkos' team that they needed to invalidate. So, they started the fight. Or... Four members of the party started a fight. The Arnold. competent ones. Yeah. Arnold, instead, went over to the control panel and started playing whack-a-mole. Yeah, I was just I was just playing with buttons, seeing what I could make this castle do. So first, it burrowed deep, deep into the ground. At startling speed. Um, Somewhere around this time, I think Sligan died. Yeah, Sligan died naturally in the battle. This battle was also moving, because I know that by the end of it, they were on top of the castle. Like, the... the Sort of. Uh, what, what actually... What? Uh, Sligan got beat to death, and you turned on the... Make the castle go up. Right. And I think you managed to di- uh, disable the speed limiters. Yes. Around that time, Bootylicious got blinded, which was real close to a saver die for a melee character. Yeah. Like, dangerously close, and everybody in the room knew it. But Bootylicious looked around, saw the writing on the wall, and it occurs to me that all of my references are about visual acuity, and said, I can't win this, but I do have the castle memorized, and he fled. He was going to go to the roof, he was going to jump out, he was going to run into the desert, and he trusted his constitution over the parties. He wasn't sure 
what the castle was doing at the time. He knew it was moving, but not that it was moving up. So he made it onto the roof. At that point, the castle reached level zero. We had, we had reattained sea level. We were moving rather quickly. The castle kept going into the air with momentum. <laughs> Where the airship was parked. And we destroyed the airship by crashing a castle through it. Not the other way around. But Bootylicious was on top of the pointed spire of his own castle at the point where it was forced through a ship. And he died horribly and in many pieces. <laughs> and it was awesome. Now this the part- is so, 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 just to be clear, this is not the first time you have hit something with a castle, Blake. Did or- I hit something with a castle later? In a different campaign. Oh. Did you did you did you do a colony drop at some point? Are we talking about Furious George? He might have been. Uh, he didn't actually destroy uh, Asmodeus's castle. He uh, had a plan for it, but the party dragged me. Never out. mind. Yeah, your plan was clutch a potion in your teeth. Still though, this yeah. was a reverse colony drop, which is really impressive. Look, a plan is a plan. I didn't say good plan. My campaign is about giving Blake the opportunity to do things at low level, the things they won't let him do at epic. <laughs> Play Arnold, throw castles at people. Die, and so on. Then we made it to the end of the campaign. All of Tyrkos's uh, allies were gone. All that was left was the party had to fight him and restore their reputation. So we went to the city where our bodies were on pikes. Tyrkos was living in that mansion like that, that the pikes were in front of. Now the... Zarel lived there too. It was the... No. It was the place where the campaign we had, happened. We had completed um, Robert Muldoon? No. What's the, what's the guy's name? Joseph Campbell's uh, mm. myth. Robert Muldoon. So we went back to this town, and people were like, It's those guys! They're somehow back alive again! Get them with pitchforks and torches and stuff. And we were like, A, that's adorable. B, buy my bullshit! I just jumped up on a soapbox and was like, Get ready for the type of lies that will change your lives! And got the entire town. They weren't on our side but they were willing to give us the opportunity to present them with hard evidence that everything we had been accused of was actually perpetrated by their hero and that we were there to try and stop him. So we led, at like the Pied Piper, the children of this city, through the streets to the gates of the castle, into the courtyard of the castle. The guards dare not stop us with this angry mob. You were a mob and five CR-18 monsters. Yeah. You guys were like CR-19 combined. And we found in this garden the portal to wherever... It turns out he wasn't doing this whole quest here. He had like a pocket dimension, right? Yep, wherever his actual home was. Right. It was through this portal. So I leaned my head into the portal and looked around. I was like, aha, big scary castle on a precipice. It's very dark and and gray and foreboding around here. No arrow demons? Yeah, no no (laughs) arrow demons. Don't see, in fact, any monsters of any kind. It It looks fairly safe. I think what we'll do is we'll bring the crowd in and we'll have them stand around as we go up to the the, 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 the sacrificial altar place where Tyrkos is getting ready to resurrect his Dark Lord. And we'll go, you know, show people they're like, see, here he is with the crazy evil ritual and stuff like that. Well, the Tenth God was true neutral. Whatever. Point is... No one asked. Yeah, no one asked. So I lean <laughs> back in... It, Satan. <laughs> I lean back in through the portal and I'm like, alright, it's safe. Everybody through the portal... And so we... They led like two or three hundred NPCs into this portal to see uh, Tyrkos' dark dimension. Yeah, so... The very definitely NPCs. final dungeon. So afterwards, I stepped through the portal after the people, but there were no people there. 
But I did step onto this big pile of dust. And I was like, where'd everybody go? What's with all this dust? Skrunkdor steps through the portal after me and takes 2d6 negative energy damage. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, ah! It jumps back through the portal. And I like, he's like, what's going on? It's like, it's the negative energy plane, you imbecile! <laughs> Every single one of those CR, every single one of those hit die one commoners, maximum HP of like six. Just stepped through that portal and took 2d6 negative energy. Their bodies were vaporized by the negative energy before the next group was able to step through and see what was happening. You just killed 300 people! The guards are still in the airship. (laughs) I was mortified. So the party continued up. They fought the mini-boss, which were the skin takers? Glimmer skins? The guys who, with variable DR... Right. They fought Tyrkosa. Blake got angry at me at this one. Tyrkosa had ascended to Paragon, which gave him just, you know, a plus 24 arbitrary AC bonus. Blake rolled up on uh, 12 insight, 12 luck. Now, I applied it on, like, a CR8 creature. Right. So he had very high numbers, but his offense was actually really low. But Blake rolled up, stabbed him in the eye, rolled a 17, and missed. Like was like, I'm not convinced this guy's CR is not, or AC is not just arbitrarily high. I'm like, no, well, maybe Skrunkdor did it. Maybe someone with an attack bonus. Uh, it was probably. Well, no, because my attack bonus was nowhere near Skrunkdor's. I relied on critting. Exactly. So, Z, and, yeah. Skrunkdor, even Junk could have hit this guy, but you couldn't on a 17, mm-hmm. which was rough. Right. Especially since the actual fight wasn't him. He was standing around watching as the players fought a gargantuan creature made of metal, like an avatar of the god he was trying to resurrect. Who is immune to critting and tripping and lies. <laughs> <laughs> so the point is, I was like, well, I sure did defeat the city of Chumpsburg, but I can't have a damn thing to say about the boss of this campaign. <laughs> players killed him. Tyrkosa's like, well, that was kind of my last idea. Clearly the better group won. I won't bother you anymore, probably because I'm about to be locked inside this dimension by myself for all eternity. You guys are free to go. At this point, fighting you would just be petty. So the players left. They had successfully defeated the campaign villain, and were wanted for 300 counts of kidnapping and murder. (laughs) Arnold had always... I I had this... Arnold actually wasn't just a a goofy pile of, like, shitty stories. He was uh, also actually had, like... A character arc that he was going through over this. Because before I revealed my nature to the party, they were just flashbacks. They were just somebody I'd been assigned. I respected Nelthar. Nelthar had my ass in a can. Like, he could destroy me anytime he felt like it. And I would do what he said. I was the only member of the party that wasn't working for money. I was working because Nelthar said so. So Money was great, though. Yeah, yeah. It let him buy his uh, ultimate weapons. Yes. Oh, that's true. In disc three, everyone got their ultimate weapon. If they could find it, everyone did. Um, His were nimble left and nimble wrong. (laughs) I had to get new hands. New hands to swap onto my body because my weapons were built in. And basically bear it for Final Fantasy VII. Um, Anyway, so over the... I, I, I was enjoying my own little personal, like, you know, emotional advancement arc where I had, like, learned to trust people. And learned to have affection for people. And learned what it is to be human. And all kinds of gushy shit like that. And then I killed these 300 people. Like, totally by accident. And I was like, oh my god. I've done a terrible thing. 
I have just recently gained the capacity to comprehend what a terrible thing is. And then I did it. I need to, like, repent or something like that. And I know that shoveling their ashes, like, back through the portal... Didn't didn't cut it. ...was somehow involved, though. But I, I underwent 300 years of penance. A year for each person I killed. That's actually a really awesome, like... That was my that was my post story. Yeah, that was my post story. And as soon as the three hundred years were up, he joined the epic level uh, campaign that ran before it, because it was the same Arnold. Yeah, he just didn't know his backstory yet. (laughs) It's awesome. I think Skrunkdor ran off to lead a tribe of good orcs and dragons. Maybe his mother's. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Because Skrunkdor's father was an orc, his mother was a dragon. Uh, Z probably headed back to Zenithriopolis because. Why not do what is expected of you? Junk probably took levels in Bard. Um, and I think Thray just flew with more expensive alcohol. <laughs> oh, you know what? He probably went to get himself a new airship, probably to steal one. Yeah. Anyway, that was the monster campaign. We uh, it, it persists to this day as one of the fav- my favorite campaigns that I've ever been in because it had everything. The characters were... All, like, really colorful and interesting. It's actually one of the very few campaigns in which I remember the names of the other players' characters. I'm just bad at that kind of thing. You know what I mean? And admittedly, I did not remember, uh, Andrea. She was around for five sessions. You have an excuse. Evidently, you had a head injury as a child. (laughs) She's about to. Um, But, uh, but yeah, like, you know, Argerok the Quick, Junk the, the, uh, Cobalt Werepanther raised by Goliath. Skrunkdor. Skrunkdor the Orc. I mean, all the, all the fun times with Skrunkdor, you know. It was just, it was a really great ensemble cast. All the players were really good people that, like, played well together and had consideration for each other. Also Valitude. The ability to have the, like, intra-party conflict to the amusement of all. Yeah. Like, there was, there was very rarely any kind of bitterness between players. And especially, like, the story was just so well put together. It really felt even though a lot of it was this one, improvised. This one feels a lot like the One Piece campaign to me. Like, in terms yeah. of, like, the, what, how you're describing it is the way I feel about that campaign. And I'm probably both mm-hmm. of you to some extent as well. This though was, you were GMing it, though. This is my first real experimentation with improv, too. Like, the session where you guys did not do the session I had planned. I just had to make up a session. Okay. There was no world map for this campaign. You guys kept flowing to fami- flying to familiar locations. I said, it takes about eight hours or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because nobody that, missed it, it. No one cared. Yeah. It wasn't important. Although there's a, there's a, there's a parallel here I'm actually curious to ask about. So you, we had Ev in this campaign, right? I can't just do that. You can just say Matt, it's fine. Um, and when you have a when you have a player that just isn't meshing or isn't performing to the level, do you know what I'm talking about? Like we had, we had Ev in our own campaign as well and in that One Piece campaign. Wasn't that? No, that was, yeah, yeah that was, um, it's after not, you would join. He was actually in my campaign too. Oh, really? Uh, very briefly. Oh. It, it was... Unless you're talking about the other guy, in which he was in my campaign for much longer. It, it, was, it was a question of, like, um, you know, these people who... They, they don't, they're not necessarily bad people, but they just don't, they don't... They're not good enough role players. They don't mash or for one reason or another. They're they, interested they could, in They could be things. great. It's just not our style. Exactly. Evan is fantastic at role-playing. He's fantastic at D&D. His style and mine don't have a lot of overlap. It's best we don't play in each other's campaigns. Mm-hmm. But he's very good at what he does, and I'm also incredible. I mean, look at me. 
Um, that player in particular, I don't think was actually that good a case study for the print for the phenomenon because it wasn't just a a lack of cohesion. I'm actually willing to make the make the commitment to say that he was just bad. He viewed our campaign as the campaign was more personal to him. He did he, he was he had a kind of sociopathic way of regarding the other players in the campaign. And that was and you know, that was why for example, not having a character sheet and just making stats up on the fly didn't seem like a problem to him. Because he just didn't perceive that that was a violation of a social contract. He didn't perceive that he had signed a social contract. Mm-hmm. So in that case, I think that it was actually one of those situations where just throwing someone out of the campaign would have been perfectly socially appropriate. I just kill him. Yeah. Well, there you go. Rock because ball. that way it makes that more narrative sense. It yeah. certainly was. Yeah, it certainly made more. Except nar- in one case, I've only thrown two people out of the campaign ever. One disappeared. One became a campaign villain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know one of them. The other one was way before your time. Yeah, because you dropkick them just after my campaign ended. Like, that day, in fact. Yep. <laughs> I was not going to do it beforehand. Admittedly, That's a disservice to that campaign. I appreciate. I really do genuinely appreciate that. But keeping that, that player in my campaign was a disservice to that one. <laughs> That's true. Um, and that, that person doesn't, doesn't come running fun games no more anyways. Yeah. I don't even know where they are. Make sure I'm on a placemat. So I heard that... That person moved away from his or her ex. Um, that ex also someone we really prefer not to have uh, show their face around fun games. Well, they said they were going to move. This wasn't really the place for them. Yeah. So, but anyways, that was that was that was a see that's your proper use of gender neutral pronouns right there. But um, so yeah, so no, but I'm curious about like, well, somebody's just not quite meshing. What do you do? Kill them. Uh, fair enough. I, uh, d- depends on whether you're asking what you should do or what I do do. No, I want to know both. Because I, 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 I think this is actually an interesting, uh, let's, let's, let's have an IPMM discussion here, but let's do it with, let's do it with the, 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 the two top GMs, right? Yeah, well. Two top trad GMs, certainly. Okay. Two top what's? Trad traditional. GMs. Ah, yes. It's, yeah, yeah. it's a word you know, but short, part. so it's more, um, history. Dun- Dun- hey, I love short words. Duncan, from what I understand, Duncan and L also have a claim to that title. But that's true. They're they're not bad. Duncan has run a few campaigns. Duncan runs a campaign in a very different style from both of us. I would like to play in a uh, Duncan campaign. You wouldn't. No. Duncan and I have played before. And again, our styles just don't mesh. Yeah. yeah. Um. The uh, what I would do is stubbornly continue hoping that I can somehow find a way to bridge the gap between these players. So that they can ultimately discover their true deep affection for uh, each other and hap- you know deep game happily ever after, um, but that's wrong because that's not always the way it works. I am a super super guilty of that uh, communicate of believing in the communicative quality of transitive, transitive. friendship. Yes. Yeah, transitive quality of, of the, gamer friendship. One of the great geek fallacies. I know, man. Only the only way greater is never get involved in a land war in, in Asia. Or something. It worked out startlingly well for Matt's bachelor party, though. He knows some good guys. Mm. What do you guys do? Uh, laser tag. Oh, yeah. I blew at it. Cards against humanity. Mm. I blew at it. Uh, Munchkin. I slaughtered that thing. <laughs> <laughs> but you said so. That was what you would do, or that was what you would want. That was to do? that was what I will. Uh, that is what I do do. 
What you probably should do is just, you know, maturely bring it up with the person and say, hey, it's, it's really not that hard a question. When people don't get along, they need to establish boundaries and then live within those boundaries. Yeah. We, um, it happened once in the Tower campaign. We just, two of my players were going at it, and I turned to everybody else at the table and said, Laura, please go to the front of the store and get me a candy bar. Uh, other person, you're working, you're uh, employed by the store, please... Get her please get bar. her that candy bar. Other person, please go to the front of the store for a little while. I don't have an excuse. Wingus, dingus, let's have a chat. Yeah. Which is the thing I didn't do when F was in our game yeah. and feuding with you. Like the, uh, the interesting thing was, like, looking back, of course, I absolutely should have pulled them aside and said something to them at that point and been like, look... Clearly, you're making... I could tell that they were making you uncomfortable at the mm-hmm. table. I should have said something, but I didn't. And it, possibly it was because I didn't know you all that well. Well, uh... You don't, two were ostensibly good friends. Yeah, don't feel too bad about it, because I willingly clutched that person to my bosom for the better part of six years. I know you did. And they became a whirling, like, ball of razor blades for the last three of them. And it, like... I had to take a lot of damage. I had to take a lot of damage before I I finally acknowledged that it was no longer sustainable. I remember you being unhappy as a person due to that relationship. No, not as unhappy as that person would have liked me to be. No. I view this as a victory. (laughs) They were unsuccessful in destroying them. That's one, you know, we have a very small circle now, but I am a big fan of everyone in our circle. Everyone gets along with everyone, and also Laura, who's just... Too new to have established that kind of relationship with the other people at the table. But it's so incredibly sweet that it would be impossible for her to rub someone the wrong way. I was... I I, I, uh, I wagged my finger hard at her for not coming to uh, your wife's uh, yoga thing. I was like... I don't even know who came. Yeah, I don't know who came either, but but uh, Laura wanted... Little Laura wanted to. Um, little Laura. As opposed to Big Laura. Yeah, it, makes sense. It's Little Laura and Big Laura. Yeah. One of them is very, one of them is very little, and one of them is very big. Medium-sized Laura moved to West Virginia. Your wife is the tallest woman I know. How tall is she? Six foot-ish? Five eleven, maybe? Okay. I thought she was six even. I thought she was She might be. Yeah. She's six yeah, even. She is not the tallest person woman I know, but she's the tallest woman I am friends with. Look, how many sound deviations does that pass me? Yeah. Yeah. She's tall for a woman. I'm short for whatever I am. My girlfriend, on the other hand, is 4'11", which is still taller than my mother. This podcast is fully copyrighted by its hosts. Visit us at podcastmagicmissile.com. I Podcast Magic Missile, attacking the darkness since 2012.